Hey, Juicebox. Yep. Since uh, COVID started and we've now been, you know, six, seven months into it, what is the one thing that you miss prior to everything shutting down? I mean, I guess beyond just general being around other people in public, um, probably going to concerts because Dana and I had some pretty awesome tickets this spring and summer. Well, what if I told you that I had something for that empty feeling of not being able to go to, go to a concert this year? Um, I'm listening. We've talked about it on the show before, but the real deal is... Oh, 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 oh. This is a CBD ad. It is a CBD ad. Okay. okay. Yes, because we have a great sponsor in Two Tours CBD. We actually got the website right this time. We did. It's actually twotours.com. And if you add a forward slash raising Nashville on the back end of that, you're going to get a special deal. That's right. I don't know what it is, but it's great. It is incredible. And if you are feeling the low-end, empty feeling of not being able to go to a concert this year, uh, and we're going to hold you over until 2021 with Two Tours CBD. People, you know what CBD is. Why do we have to explain it to you? You, We don't. It is uh, something that is going to you know, ease your anxiety and pain. It is going to allow you to get into a euphoric state until you can officially walk into a venue next year and see your favorite band play. You're really overselling it. TwoTours.com forward slash Raising Nashville for your special offer. Two Tour CBD. We came home together. We grow together. Raising Nashville, raising Nashville, raising Nashville, raising Nashville. Welcome to Raising Nashville. I'm Bucky. Juice box. And if you have been listening, we are smack dab in the middle of our two-part series on Starwood Amphitheater. Amphitheatre, amphitheatre, what, what's it called exactly? We don't know. Um, we have gotten a little bit of backlash over this uh, from the past week in, in regards to the spelling of amphitheatre. I had no idea that there were two spellings. This yeah, doing the research for this podcast just made me realize I have no idea how to spell amphitheater. I, I still don't. don't. After doing all the research and typing it a hundred times, I'm still not sure what the correct spelling is. I don't think anybody does even autocorrect. Because <laughs> every time I type it into something, it wants to spell theater and not theatre. But we have found out from numerous uh research that it is uh amphitheatre. <laughs> we say. I don't. But, wanna, I don't want to say it like that to the rest of the episode, though. Uh, we won't. We'll call it Starwood Amphitheater, like it's meant to be said. All right. In episode one, we uh, we had a lot of fun. If you guys have not heard that, please go back and take a listen. Uh, we introduced the early years of Starwood. We we talked about bands that played the inaugural season. Um, you know. I shared some stories, and we actually heard some great stories from a guy named Joe who worked at the amphitheater for 10 years. Yep. Um, it, it was pretty incredible to relive a lot of those memories, and we're going to continue that this week um, with episode two of Starwood Amphitheater. We're going to call this episode From Sold Out Shows to Shops and Condos, The History of Starwood Amphitheater Part 2. 
Is that a question mark at the end of that uh, condos thing? It might be. And yeah. if you listen later on in this episode, you will actually find out why. Um, during episode two, we're going to have some fun today. We are going to interview a girl whose property actually backed up to Starwood for nearly her entire life. Which I can't even imagine. We're going to talk about some crazy things that happened in Starwood over the years. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know... The ultimate demise and gloom over Starwood towards the later, you know, later years. And we're going to talk about the last band that played at Starwood Amphitheater, which it may surprise you. It might surprise you. We're going to round it out with something that people have been interested in for the past, I'm going to say about 13 years, which is what to do with that property there off I-24. Right. Also, we have a bonus this week, which I we're going to play a little game, and I am going to uh, reveal star former Starwood tickets that I have to Juicebox to get his views on my musical taste back in the mid-90s to, let's say, early 2000s. I feel like I can already predict how this is going to go. <laughs> Give me one. Give me one who you think I saw. Well, in the last episode, you told me Bon Jovi, which I was pretty excited about. Yep. So um, I'm going to guess Afro Man? I don't think Afro Man ever played Starwood. Um, let's go ahead and kick this this episode off with a girl named Jennifer. It might it, it won't surprise you, but she has a, a crazy interesting story to tell. Because imagine if you were born in a house, and then all of a sudden one day they said, hey, we're going to take these you know, 77 acres of woods behind your house. We're going to clear a lot of it out and we're going to build an 18,000 person amphitheater. There. <laughs> yeah. I hope you like live music. Yeah. And she was fairly young when they, when they, all this construction was done and they built this amphitheater. So imagine what her parents thought, you know, um, was it, Hey, we're excited because we get all these free shows. We just have to sit on the back porch and listen every night. Or was it, Oh my God, this is just going to be a tailgating shit show, and people are going to just going to be, you know, walking through our yard, passing out under our trees, asking us for bottled water. So kind of like living close to Bonnaroo, something like that. Okay, except probably not profiting off of the land like the people, the neighborhood of Bonnaroo does. Right. So let's go ahead and get into it. This week we have Jennifer. She's going to talk to us about what it's like living next to one of the greatest things that ever happened in Nashville. All right, today we are highlighting a few stories from people affiliated with Starwood, and right now on the line we have Jennifer. We kind of, I found Jennifer through this amazing Facebook uh, Starwood Memories group, and uh, Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you tell us during Starwood's 20-year run how you were affiliated or what your direct connection to Starwood is? Well, actually, my current and childhood home uh, joins their uh, employee parking lot at the time. My dad had befriended the manager, Steve Moore, after a group of Fort Campbell soldiers shot guns in a parking lot and woke my parents up. So the next day, my dad went up there and complained to Steve Moore. They went and found the shells in question. And ever since then, uh, Steve and my dad became friends, and my family was up there a lot. Let me get this straight. Your backyard backs up to a 18,000 person amphitheater. Yes, it used to be 60 acres of woods before it was an amphitheater. And I used to play in the caves 
on that property before they cleared it and built Starwood. So Jennifer, let me ask, like when they built Starwood, did your family think about moving it all or did they kind of embrace it or what, what was the thought process there? I don't remember my mom or dad complaining much at all. Um, and once they started going to concerts and they were up there probably more than I was, then <laughs> I don't think it mattered much at all. <laughs> Can you tell us one of your favorite memories from being a neighbor to the amphitheater? As a child, I thought it was cool to just be able to walk in my backyard over to the amphitheater and straight to the gate and see the artists perform. Um, over the years, Starwood also hosted a lot of free events, like their grand opening and they had a hosted like free events from the radio stations at the time. And there was also things like high school graduations and company picnics, kind of like what they did at Opryland. So that is really cool. Did anyone ever end up in your backyard <laughs> after a concert trying to potentially find their car or something? Well, that kind of goes into another story. Um, people would park in the church across the street from my house and trespass across my yard without asking permission to go to Starwood so they wouldn't have to park, get into traffic, and potentially pay for parking. Okay. Did your parents ever get up? Like, did were they the type that would just sit on the front porch with shotguns and rocking chairs and, you know, just... (laughs) They might not. Well, you know, they were that generation, to be fair. Okay. But that might have been more with me and a BB gun than them. (laughs) All right, so I also have to ask, uh, as far as building it, and this may be too, you may be a, uh, may have been too young to remember, but was there any pushback over the years in regards to things like, uh, I mean, if your yard backed up to it, you had to have heard concerts on a nightly basis. And uh, I, I know personally from you know from experience that traffic uh on those two roads was absolutely insane uh you hear horror stories of back in the day where it took hours to get into you know the parking lot um was any of that you know just does that stand out as was it a big issue over the over the 20 years um yeah as, as a matter of fact it was um you know of course everybody complains about the sound the noise um and to be fair on any given night we could hear the concerts. And I can remember one summer night, we had the windows up and Eddie Murphy's Raw tour was playing. (laughs) You can only imagine what my mother thought at that. (laughs) All right. Finally, and we have to ask, what's your favorite and most memorable performance at Starwood? I'm sure that you, living in the neighborhood, your property backing up to Starwood's parking lot, you saw a lot over the years. I can only assume that. So what was your favorite of all time? My favorite was because of my connection to Starwood. My dad was able to obtain front row tickets to New Kids on the Block. Oh, oh man. <laughs> what year was that? 1991-ish. Yeah, I was going to say it had to be late 80s, early 90s. Yep. That, that, that's pretty incredible. Was that your first concert? My first show at Starwood, other than like the grand opening and, you know, I think 95.5 used to do a lot of the the fall fests that mm-hmm. were kind of free to the public. It was David Copperfield. Whoa. At Starwood. <laughs> yes, he did a show at Starwood. Holy cow. I would have never have guessed that. So, Jennifer, let me ask real quick. The New Kids on the Block concert, did you get to take some of your friends from school? Uh, my dad bought two tickets, so I took my friend Stacy. Were you and St- was Stacy just like 
over it? Was she just loving it? Like, were you guys best friends from then on? We still are, yes. <laughs> Bonding over new kids. That's awesome. Exactly. Before I get out of here, I want to ask one final question, and it's been a lot of controversy over the last, you know, six months to two to three years is, you know, the potential development of the property and what your kind of view or hope for it is moving forward. Considering the properties on my street, the majority of them are already going commercial. I'm not opposed to it going commercial. Um, That means property values go up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, But I just hope that it doesn't increase the traffic because that's something they have not really addressed over the years. So if they're going to expand, then they need to fix traffic. Well, if I know I am a transplant, I'm not from Nashville, but one thing I've learned from living here is Nashville is not very good at fixing their traffic problems. (laughs) No, it's not. Neither is Atlanta. (laughs) That is true. All right, Jennifer, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything. Maybe, who knows, maybe somebody will buy that property and open up another amphitheater. (laughs) Right, I doubt it. We can only be so lucky. (laughs) Couldn't we all? Uh, Thanks so much, and we will talk to you real soon. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Well, that was an incredible interview uh, by Jennifer. I mean, those that I just can't imagine. I mean, we left new kids on the block off the list of people that we were naming in the last episode of who had played there. So that is correct. Uh, And uh, to see, you know, Eddie Murphy raw or to to hear it, not to see it, to hear it. I'm embarrassed when I'm watching rated R movies in front of my kids. Imagine her parents and her listening to that in the late 80s. Speaking of Eddie Murphy's Raw, that is something crazy that has happened to Starwood. And over the years, aside from what we heard in episode one of uh, this two-part series, you know, Ozzy's Bowel Movements, uh, we heard about (laughs) naked uh, workers, people that worked at Starwood running naked across the stage during like the headlining band's act. A guitar player and a lead singer going behind the stage and punching each other in the face and then walking back out and continuing to play the song. Imagine that bus ride after the show. I wanted to know who that band was so bad. I did too. Uh, Crazy staff after parties. Uh, Joe told us about those. Uh, But we also want to cover a few other things that happened, you know, at Starwood. And from we talked about it a little, touched on it a little bit in episode one. The bonfires that happened from pizza boxes at like Metallica and Leonard Skinner shows. Another thing is we were a stop on the Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney tour. Now you might not think that that's a crazy thing just by hearing that on the surface, right? but that was also like the second or the show after they got busted for stealing cop horses um, at the previous, you know, amphitheater they were at and riding those around the parking lot and getting arrested for that. So they get out of jail, they come to Starwood, they rock the place. What? I have never even heard that story. Oh yeah. It's absolutely amazing. All the mosh pits that happened like during Rage Against the Machine and, you know, Deftones concerts and buzz fests and, you know, all the bands, you know, that, that. Yeah, but that's not native to Starwood. That's it's not every- native, but there were some crazy things happen. I mean, people getting knocked out, being carried out. I want to touch really quick on my OzFest experience because there's got to be crazy things happening at OzFest, right? Besides Ozzy taking a dump on what, in the middle of a set? Absolutely. So I remember a buddy of mine and uh, myself were going to OzFest, and it's the first time we stopped at that Waffle House we touched on in episode one. And I, it was the first time I ever rolled a joint in my life. 
Um, and it was bad. And he didn't know how to do it, and I didn't know how to do it, and I don't think we actually completed it. We just probably just ate it. Um, anyway, <laughs> so we get to OzFest, and I, I remember we're there very early, and there is a mechanical bull before mechanical bulls got popular, right? At the top, it's a black painted bull with red eyes. He's like, I can get on that bull, and I can do it. And, you know, all mechanical bulls, they kind of have an inflatable circle around them. Right. So he gets on this bull, and at OzFest, they take the bull up to, like, 11. You know, there's <laughs> no 10. So There's he probably gets, a dude on meth operating it. <laughs> that's it. So he gets on there, and they just start whipping him around. And there's a place where you step up onto the inflatable. It's, you know, kind of a little door. And he gets thrown off at the right position, goes straight through that hole onto concrete. And we spend the next hour trying to mend him so we can get ready for Ozzy because, man, we were huge Ozzy fans back in the day, right? Yeah. We did not know that during this OzFest and the only OzFest that ever happened, the only OzFest tour where Black Sabbath was the headliner and not Ozzy. Oh, yeah. So we were like the kids in the 90s who were Ozzy radio fans. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they say, we didn't know it ahead of time. We just thought OzFest meant Ozzy. Black Sabbath comes out and they start playing and we're like, oh, okay, second set will be Ozzy. No, it was all Black Sabbath. I knew one song all night. Oh, man. But I bet every single song was badass, though. For someone who did not have the greatest palette for music at that time and only had the radio to go off of, Mm. um, I did not have the best time in the world. Oh, right. You were like, I'd rather hear Nickelback. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. Don't try to trick me into that. So anyway... We told you about episode one, the Starwood Amphitheater Memories page on Facebook. If you have not gone on there, please request to be a member of that. It is an incredible place for people to drop things like pictures and ticket uh, tickets and stories and all kinds of stuff. Some of these stories on there will actually blow your mind. So we wanted to talk about a little, a couple of crazy things that happened at Starwood over the years. I'm not going to say any names, but we're going to read some stories. Up first is uh, kind of one of my favorites, and it's it reads, but one of my favorite moments, and this is obviously somebody who worked there, was when I wouldn't allow Destiny's Child on stage for their walkthrough because they didn't have passes to go on the stage. Per Boys to Men's head of security, Big Kevin, he had to, like, okay it. So basically there was a 45-minute delay where they held up Queen Bee. From entering the stage of Starwood. I mean, we all know that Beyonce and Jay-Z are in the Illuminati, so I'm surprised this chick is still around to even tell this story. Another fun story is, uh, so apparently Jessica Simpson has an issue with people listening to her unless there is a massive crowd. So uh, another story said Jessica Simpson personally had security escort us off the grass. Now, keep in mind, these are people who worked at Starwood, like concession people, right? They were getting ready for the show. Mm -hmm. She had security personally escort them off the grass because she didn't like when people saw her warm up. She had to warm up to an empty place. 18,000 people. 18,000 people, there's got to be at least 300 people that work there, right? To service that many. Uh And she is kicking people off the lawn which blows my mind. Okay, let me play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. Okay. Okay, so her sister was famously busted on Saturday Night Live for lip syncing. Correct. 
Could there be something there? Maybe she didn't want people to hear her rehearse because she wasn't actually rehearsing. Oh, that is a that's a great call. That is this the Millie Vanilli effect? Yep. That Millie, we keep going. Millie back Vanilli Part Two. It's more acceptable now. <laughs> that is it. Uh, finally, one of the stories uh, is actually a continuation of the interview that we had in. Uh, from The Monkeys to Motley Crue, A History of Starwood Part 1, our first part of this two-part series with Joe. He told us about this Leonard Skinner concert. I didn't know Leonard Skinner didn't sing Freebird. I didn't know they just... I've never seen Leonard Skinner live, so I, I've never experienced that. But apparently they don't sing it live. They just play it instrumental, and they have a bird, an eagle on stage with the spotlight on it. Yes. But according to Joe, this was like one night that they were actually going to sing Freebird. And all of a sudden, the power goes out, right, in the entire amphitheater. Then they work vigorously to get the power back on. They get it back on for a few moments. Then it goes out again. They basically stop the show. Yep. Because uh, they can't perform. Now, there has been a story come to light on the Starwood Amphitheater Memories page on Facebook from an attendee who was at that show. And this is the other side of that, which is crazy. So listen to this story. He says, I was at the Leonard Skinner concert when the electrical power was knocked out. It was knocked out by a terrible car accident. They hit a power substation just down the road, which serviced Starwood. If I remember correctly, six or seven people were actually killed, and they had just left Starwood halfway through the show, and the driver was drunk, which is a tragedy in itself. At that time, Starwood had zero emergency power or emergency lights, so after about 30 minutes of the pitch black dark, somebody rigged up a small generator to the sound system. Skinner told everybody about the accident and told everybody to come back the next night for a free concert. That, to me, is already trouble. Right. Skinnerd just said, everybody come back. Basically said, go tell your friends. We're playing a free show here tomorrow night, right? So this guy or whoever's telling the story said, okay, so the next night he shows up, right? Everyone came back plus some. It was a full house. Obviously, it's a free Skinnerd show in the mid to late 90s. Um, see, he said, about halfway through the concert, I was walking down the grassy knoll, if most of you remember that, and accidentally bumped into some dude, and the next thing I know, I'm getting my ass beat real good. I, I do remember a lot of those shows, and there were a lot of fights. Right. This wasn't the mosh pits. He said, security showed up, grabbed me, and carried me face down to the backstage area, and threw me out the back door. There were several roadies standing around smoking and drinking beer. I distinctly remember one of them commenting, look at that dumbass. I was dazed and confused. Then I remembered that I still had my ticket stub, so I walked back around to the entry gates, and they let me right back in, and we partied on. <laughs> that is awesome. That is a story. I, I mean, mean, back in the day, I guess they didn't tear your ticket or do anything. It was just like... First of all, they didn't walk this guy back to the front gate, which was close. They took him behind the stage and basically threw him out the back door. Yeah, it sounds like he's lucky they didn't rough him up even more. Right? And it also sounds like he wasn't the one who started the fight. I mean, he was getting his ass beat and still got the bad end of the stick. Well, most people remember themselves as the good guy. 
That's always true. All right, now uh, we have actually a special thing on Raising Nashville Podcast. I uh, have been waiting for this for two episodes. I'm so excited. What I have done today is I have brought a stack of tickets that I still have remaining from Starwood Amphitheater. I'm going to hand them to Juicebox and have him sift through a couple of these tickets to see if he finds some irregularities there. Okay, for the listenership, I'm not looking forward to this. (laughs) Okay, here's the ticket that I can't even read because it's so faded. Because there was a massive rainstorm that night when No Doubt only played three songs and Weezer killed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's the infamous Rage Against the Machine ticket. Uh, Leonard Skinner. That's one. Van, Van Halen. Oh, yeah. So that would have been Van Hagar, right? It is Van Hagar. Okay. Yes, I saw Van Hagar. It's awesome. Aerosmith. Okay. I'm fine with that. This is from 1998. The ticket price was 1350. 1350 to see Aerosmith. I mean, that it, is insane. I mean, was there some insane upcharge like on the side? I there guess wasn't. not because it was the 90s, right? No, I think one of those tickets actually says purchased at Castor Not. Do you remember when Pearl Jam like went to war with Ticketmaster for a while there about how much they were? Ticketmaster won. They did. They're always going to win. They were like, you think this is bad? We're going to charge you this price of the ticket as a fee. Lenny Kravitz Live 99. That's that's not already going to go my way, Lenny Kravitz, right? That's... uh, No, that's... uh, What is it? I'm going to fly away. Okay. I don't know how it goes. Oh, here's the OzFest 99. There we go. We just talked about that. Black Sabbath 99. (laughs) Steve Miller Band. Whatever. That's... Steve Miller Band's great. Fish, no thank you. That Fish concert had a great parking lot. I will remember my mom dropping me off at that concert at that top gate um, before you go down to the parking lot, and she looked at me right in the face and she said, are you sure you want to do this? And what'd you say? I said, hell yeah, look at all these people. They're cooking, they're selling things, they're free. All right, there's a couple Leonard Skinner's. That's three. Oh, <laughs> Okay, so I'm not. I shouldn't be surprised that this ticket is in here. From it's also super faded from August nineteenth, two thousand. My name is Kid. Yes. And so you I, got your back your Kid Rock tattoo after that show. I got my Kid Rock tattoo, which I'm embarrassed to say. Yes, for our listener chef out there, I do have a Kid Rock tattoo. Um, I got it two years later. No, one year later when I was in college, but. To my advantage here, that was Joe C. Kid Rock. That was Ba to Ba, Red Album, still somewhat decent. Why are you trying to defend that? I shouldn't be. Okay, let's round this out. Brooks and Dunn, Tim McGraw. Um, oh, is that the that riding was the hor- infamous Tim riding McGraw? Horses? Yeah. But it wasn't even the Riding Horses show. It was the after the show after Riding Horses. I was probably there to get girls. Okay. Uh, Poison. All right. Here's something that says Leonard Skinner, but it's just written on there. <laughs> Uh, Hank Williams Jr., Allman Brothers. So, you know, about one-third of those tickets were good shows. So, they're yes, they're all. Uh, let me see, if you don't mind, pass those back over to me. I, I, I just have to say real quick, I did not see that Bon Jovi ticket in there. Um, I, there were There's at least half tickets that I have not, you know, kept since the <laughs> mid-'90s. I want you to take a look at, at this ticket right here. Because um, this touches on the story about having a ticket and getting back in. If you look at the date on that, 
It's <laughs> it, it is written in May 30th, 1998. If you can see behind the ink that I covered up, it is actually May 10th, 1996. Yes, I back then they were not scanning tickets, right? They just ripped your ticket off. So they didn't rip the edge of that off when I went in in 96. So I just wrote a different date on it for 1998, made a six and eight, and I actually got into that concert. I think we need to post a picture of this, maybe on our stories or something, because the way you wrote 30, <laughs> it, it's You'd like- you have to be blind yeah, to not it, let me in that concert. Yeah. I mean, or it, two let me in. It's like my two-year-old wrote three zero on it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, well, that was a fun exercise. And uh, as all good things happen in Nashville, a lot of them over the years uh, must or have come to an end. Yep. And now what we're going to do is kind of get into uh, the dark period of Starwood. Man, that sounds so ominous. I feel like we need some like ominous drones. Yeah, it, 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 it's 2007. Bad. So many people had so much fun there over the years. We thought it would never end. It's kind of like Opryland theme park, you know? Right. I mean, you never thought that that would turn into a shopping mall. You know, you never thought that Starwood Amphitheater would be left to, you know, a set of The Walking Dead for, you know, almost 13, 14 years. Right. Um, but on February 13th, 2007, Live Nation did announce its intention to close Starwood Amphitheater and cancel the entire 2007 season, which had a few shows booked. Yeah, from what I found, it was uh, that Charlie Daniels jam that I, I guess happened every year there. The volunteer jam. And it was a Brad Paisley, Kelly Pickler show. Wow. Yeah. That, um, those and those were are the, still going on. And those were the only two things they had scheduled for that year. <laughs> it didn't sound good for Starwood. Um, anyway, so basically there was an anticipation of a potential sale of the property um, for you know somebody else to take over the amphitheater and kind of revive it from you know the declining nature of people going out there. You know, you got to think like in 2007, it almost seems like there were some shows potentially at LP field or Nissan stadium now. Well, and that a thing I read about it too, was like, there really hadn't been any updates done to it, like in maybe the entire time. So it's like, you know, by 2007, you're, you have bands playing places with like modern amenities and there's nothing out there. You're still probably in a concrete dressing room or what, you know, there's, I think people got fed up of the traffic, how far it was from Nashville. Yeah. Um, Nashville started, uh, this was a couple of years before the recession. So Nashville started that boom then and then kind of got knocked down two years later by a recession. But people were, you know, wanting to play at Bridgestone Arena. It was nice. It yeah. was, you know, new. And they we had, you know, other venues that were kind of up and coming. I think City Hall was around that time. And, you know, there were a couple other places that were just more attractive to bands, like Juicebox said. Entertainment industry insiders blame the closing of Starwood on its age and size, uh, calling it a first-generation outdoor venue. You know, that was only about two-thirds the size of ones being built today. Uh, obviously not in Nashville, but, you know, when you could play a football stadium or you could play, you know, an 18,000-person indoor arena. It's weird they say that, though, because, like, I feel like 18,000-person 18, amphitheater is pretty freaking big. I don't feel like it's two-thirds of the size of other amphitheaters. Are they just talking about, like, 
arenas? I think they're they're comparing it to across the country and other Live Nation venues. Um, oh, okay. I think they were building much bigger amphitheaters, which I, to be honest with you, I haven't been to one. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Where are they? When I went to Bonnaroo in 2002, I was like, man, this is bigger than Starwood. <laughs> that was the first time I experienced that. Yeah, I mean, I know Riverbend is big, but I feel like it was still just probably fifteen to 20,000, like not a whole lot more. It, it couldn't have been. Um, but it says that they weren't attracting top-tier artists. Uh, they, the artists were, at that time, demanding larger and more modern performance venues. So you've got to think, I guess, you know, live music is just going off, right? Yeah. And I, this is probably around the time of, what, uh, tail end, middle-ish of kind of that Napster, people streaming music, not streaming yet, but downloading music, right? Yeah. Bypassing uh cds and bypassing record stores and you know Mm -hmm. getting it for themselves so the bands had to make money off live music right yeah when that comes you need something bigger so it says starwood grossed only 4.6 million in ticket sales during its 2006 season and um was one of four underperforming venues that live nation put up for sale the following season so we weren't the only ones but we were definitely an underperforming venue for live nation so last show at Starwood featured uh, Aerosmith and Motley Crue, two bands who had played there many times over the years. And I did get uh, confirmation that, if I'm not mistaken, Aerosmith played the most times of Starwood. I thought it was Skinnerd based on all of not only my tickets, but yeah. uh, all of the stories that we've told over these two weeks. Uh, but it actually was Aerosmith who played the most. I mean, I believe that. They probably played there every year for, what, 10 every, to 12 years straight or something, maybe? They played 11 times, so it was almost every other year since okay. it opened. Um, so that is pretty cool. Um, turns out... Yeah, since we're talking about the closing of Starwood and the last band, um, a lot of people do think it's Aerosmith and Motley Crue, and that show was in the fall of 2008, I think September 2008, maybe? Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, September 2006. But that's actually not the case. We did a little research on this, and we found out that a band in 2011, December of 2011, maybe late November, sometime around then, a band, a local band called August Christopher snuck in to the boarded up, chained up Starwood Amphitheater. So they climbed the fence with all their gear, with their family and friends, brought them out there to play a show for them and record a music video for one of their songs called Down. Now, if you haven't heard of August Christopher, let me give you a quick rundown of their accomplishments. They've played over 3,000 live shows since their founding. They've entertained thousands and thousands of fans across the country, and they've played with bands like Leonard Skinner, Train, Filter, Jackal, Vince Neil, Afro Man, Seven Mary Three, Ludacris, and many more. That is an incredible run right there. And did I mention that Chris, their lead singer, one time owned the Guinness World Record for playing the longest show ever. How long was that show? He played for 24 hours and like three seconds or something like that. Like 8 p.m. to 8 p.m. Like a Friday to Saturday 24-hour slot. And that was in a bar in Clarksville. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that, but it was in this area. So the bar never closed? No, it never closed. And it, he did it for the... Um, he did it as like a tribute for the troops because, I mean, he had... A, he, it wasn't really as self-serving as maybe it sounds like. Like it, he was really had a good reason to do it, and he was donating funds to the troops and, and just trying to like raise awareness of like what our troops go through and stuff like that. Because his big his big thing was like 
these kids that we're sending to war are like 18 years old, you know, like they don't have the life experience yet. And they're, he had a good, re- he had a good point for it. And I'm not going to try to put words in it. Sure. Mouth. So you're telling me that it wasn't Aerosmith or Motley Crue. It was a band called August Christopher in yeah. 2011, five years after Starwood closed that played the last show at Starwood. Yeah. And after doing some research about this dude and his band, um, there's actually a documentary on Amazon about their band called All or Nothing. I'm I'm like all in on this dude. Like he is one of the hardest. The tag of the movie was the hardest working band you never heard of. And that moniker fits it perfectly. This dude is, he is 100% full of energy. He is one of the best front men I think I've ever seen. Like he is just on it. How cool would it be if we could get that guy on the podcast? I mean, you're building him up. I would love to interview this guy. Well, um, got a little surprise for you. Nuh-uh. Chris, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us about Starwood Amphitheater. Hey, thanks for having me. We, we, have to, uh, we have to ask, you know, over Starwood's 20-year run, and of course over this two-part series that we're doing on Starwood Amphitheater, um, we're kind of touching base with a few people and, you know, going through what their so quote-unquote affiliation with the amphitheater actually is. So with that being said, where did Starwood start with you? Oh wow! This is a this is a great story, and I just rediscovered the story a couple of days ago with my son. So, um, when I was a kid in 1993, uh, there was some sort of free concert at Starwood Amphitheater, and it was the first time I ever went out there. It was to see Brother Kane. Do you remember Brother Kane? I don't know. It was like a free concert, and uh, there was this girl there. And I followed her into the girl's bathroom and got her phone number. And <laughs> she is she is my son's mother. Like years later, we had a kid and beautiful kid. His name is Jordan. And that was literally at Starwood Amphitheater. So you didn't scare and he was her the off. One telling me this. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't know. She, you know, when you back in the day when you did that, you, you never really knew until you tried the number later to make sure, you know, half the time <laughs> it wasn't the right number. But yeah, years later, like we, you know. It's crazy. So yeah, that uh, that was a Starwood Amphitheater, Brother Kane, nineteen ninety three. I know from talking to you, you mentioned seeing a bunch of shows there throughout, you know, Starwood's history. Is there one or one or two shows that just really stood out above the rest? And uh, for what reasons did those stand out? Well, you know, I saw so many bands from like No Doubt, the, the first Lollapalooza, Rage Against the Machine, Alice in Chains, and then the the thing about it was I. I lived about two miles away from there for maybe 10, 12 years. So when you were coming home or just driving around, if you saw a bunch of traffic headed up to Starwood, you could just follow the traffic and not even know who was playing. You would get in the parking lot. You'd find out who, you could get a ticket from a scalper or any, you know, tickets were dirt cheap. And I saw so many acts and I didn't even know until I got in the parking lot who I was going to see. One thing we did when we were kids is you would always find a van or a pickup truck or something that was parked next to the fence. And if you got there late, late enough, you could usually crawl up there, jump on top of a, a van and then jump over the fence and you could see the show. And I remember <laughs> one time a friend, a friend of mine, we went, we went and we didn't even know who we were going to see. We were in the parking lot. You, of course you drink all the beer in the parking lot as much as you can. We <laughs> sure. found a van and we jumped the fence and it was Robert plant. And it was just oh, so cool to hear Robert. But I mean, everybody, you know, everybody played there. And uh, this cop on a golf cart 
started to catch us. We hopped the fence to get back over, and this guy chased us into the woods. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that night for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, Starwood was a really cool place. Uh, it was a small place, but they had all the big acts come in. Um, we actually got to play there one time in 1999 or 2000. We played at BuzzFest. It was um, – 102.9 had this thing called BuzzFest, and Nickelback was the headliner. And uh, they let us play one time. Uh, I think we were allowed like 22 minutes or something like that. And I think we did like an eight-song medley, you know, with a, with a beer funnel and freestyling and getting <laughs> yeah. people up on stage, yeah. all in like a 20-minute window, right? Because that's, you know, you do as much as you can. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I really missed that place. It was a lot of fun. Okay, Chris, uh, let's change gears here a little bit. So – when we were researching this podcast, we were like looking up, you know, we, we Starwood closed in 2007, or I guess 2006, technically. So we were trying to figure out who the last band to play there was. And we came <laughs> up with, uh, you know, Motley Crue and Aerosmith did a double headlining show to end the amphitheater. But what we found when we dug a little bit deeper into it was that actually wasn't the last band to play Starwood. Yeah, it was uh, actually a band called August Christopher who uh i think that's what they say can you tell us a little bit about how this idea came about and like what what made you guys want to do that sure well a lot of it was just brainstormed in the van where we would play you know we would do hundred a couple hundred shows a year in a hot sweaty van and we had nothing better to talk about than you know stuff like that hey what are we going to do next and living so close to there you know starwood amphitheater we talked about the place every now and then i was like you know I know that stage is still there because the whole thing was made of concrete mm -hmm. and there's no reason why we couldn't probably just walk in, set our stuff up and just throw some cameras up. I mean, I never really thought that it would be any good and I still don't know if it's really you know, great or bad or whatever. It really isn't the point. Right. But like, it was just something to do. And uh, we didn't have any idea that it was all going to be locked up like that. We had to climb over a fence, which was kind of rough with all of our stuff. <laughs> but uh, and we really didn't think it was going to be a very big deal either. You know, the whole thing with with the news and everybody else that happened later. So, oh, really? like we went in. We, yeah, we went in. We shot the video. It was so beautiful. And to know that the last two people that had been on that stage were Aerosmith and Motley Crue, of course. And to look out at the crowd, knowing that how many times we had all of us had been in the crowd. You know, looking back, it was really, really cool. And the grass was a certain color. You know, the sky was really, really beautiful. And it just kind of the 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 rubble of the stage with the, the, the color of the sky just really ended up looking kind of cool when we shot our video. And uh, it wasn't until a few months later that the news uh, came out and did a thing about Starwood Amphitheater and did the whole thing that you just said. We were the last band that played there. Uh, and I guess they got the footage from our video. That was how that kind of happened. Which was awesome. And for our listenership out there, that song is called Down by August Christopher. And you can find that video on YouTube. Uh, I have to say that I'm extremely jealous because I catch myself every couple of years driving out to Starwood and I park at that gate and I have never had the balls to step <laughs> over that gate because I never know who's watching or what's going to happen. But you not only had the balls, but you and your band grabbed your stuff and took it all the way down. And I mean, that's not close. I mean, it is not right. close it's to that a, front gate. It's a gate. long walk. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> But I commend you for that. It was incredible. So August Christopher actually was the last band to play Starwood Amphitheater. So let's uh, seg <laughs> segue a little bit here and let's talk about August Christopher a little bit. Let's talk about like your history with music and, um, kind, you know, 
give us a little background about yourself. Well, um, I've been, you know, the band's been around forever. We started around 1999, uh, and, uh, we did a ton of shows, you know, back then you just booked everything you could and just played it. Well, not a whole lot different than now. And we just, we just played all the time and, um, had a, a really great, it was a great live show. We had a lot of fun. We, we played all over the place and uh, still doing it. You know, now I, I uh, as you mentioned, there's a movie that just came out. It's on uh, Amazon prime. It's called all or nothing. It's a story about the band. And so, um, you know, with COVID going on right now, it's kind of, you can't really gig or anything. So I, I started doing these little videos of the day that I've been putting out just new songs here or there. Uh, it's kind of fun trying to put like a hundred videos out um, between now and the end of the year or between the beginning of the year and the end of the year. And then um, go right back out it again you know start playing again that is awesome we we've watched the documentary you have to be the most energetic front man (laughs) i've ever seen i mean this is like (laughs) all or nothing is what what is the moniker of it like the 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 band you've never heard of hardest working band hardest working band you've never heard of and i mean you've got Zach De La Rocha, like you've got jumping around and, you know, it, it segs and the musicianship is just tight and it's on point and it's, it's awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. I do have a ton of energy. I've been that way since <laughs> I was a little kid, you know, and, uh, but it's just how I roll, I guess. I'm all, you know, you, you can look at things, uh, positively or negatively and it's just so much more fun to just jump in and and have a blast all the time you know god that's like we're so refreshing to hear in the world that we're living in right now um so (laughs) i do want to i want to like you know double plug this documentary because like i said i watched it today it was awesome like some of the stuff that you've done like do you still have a guinness world record for playing the longest show ever I do not. That has been since shattered. Um, oh. I, I set the world record for the troops of the 101st Airborne way back in the day, uh, 24 hours and 24 hours and three seconds. And uh, it has since been what, what they wanted to do is like a 10 year anniversary. We were going to go to Times Square, New York. Journeys was going to the shoe company was going to sponsor it. Give me a tour bus. We we're going to go out there in Times Square. And I was going to do it again on the 10 year anniversary until I found out that some dude went like five days or something. And, uh, <laughs> what? Or uh, something like that i don't know how long it was whatever it was it was something i wasn't going to even attempt so that whole idea backfired uh but but you know it was kind of cool cool to have for the moment and, and it was neat to bring attention you know one of the things about where we play we, we play all over the place in like a three or four hour radius was kind of our little window but you know you don't travel that far away from fort campbell and then you're in a completely different world and, and at the time you know there's a whole lot of fighting going on overseas and you know 9 11 and all this kind of stuff and um people didn't realize that our soldiers were over there fighting for our freedom. And they were like 18, 19 years old. And we played for these kids all the time, you know, so it was really cool to do something that brought awareness to it, not just money, but, you know, people were talking about and just thinking about these people. So it was all for, for the right causes. So it was a blast. All right. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Before we get out of here, please tell our listenership where they can find you, where they can find the band, where they can find the documentary, just have at it. Sure. Augustchristopher.com is where you can find everything. Uh, the, the documentaries on Amazon Prime, but it's also on all the other outlets. Uh, it's called All or Nothing, but it's easier. Just go to AugustChristopher.com. Or, of course, we're on Facebook at August Christopher Band. Uh, we're on Instagram and, and, and all that other stuff, too, and Twitter. But Facebook is where I'm at most of the time. Um, yeah, just check us out. And thanks so much for having me, dude. This is a great little uh, trip down memory lane. And I can't wait to hear 
the stories that you guys are going to share because obviously Starwood meant something to you too. So you're going to have some great, I can't wait to hear this whole thing when it's done. All right. So that was Bucky. I don't know about you. I thought that was an awesome interview. That dude was super cool. Like I felt a little, it sounds so cheesy, but I felt a little starstruck after watching his documentary earlier today. And then like talking to him on the phone, like he's so humble about the whole thing and just so like genuine. And like, it's like, he has such a passion for music and playing music. It's like so refreshing to see. And he's great. Chris Cheatham is s- full of energy. I mean, Dude. that that is one of the greatest interviews we've had on the podcast in our 69 episode run, you know. Oh, this it, is ep- episode 69. It's fitting, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, um <laughs> anyway, so you know, obviously August Christopher, um last band to play Starwood in 2011. Look him up, man. This dude did some, he had some crazy shows, did, had some crazy ideas. He was an entertainer first and foremost. Still is. Still, Still is. is. He's out there on Facebook. He's putting out uh, new videos like every couple of days. I think he said his goal on, did he say on? He said it was 100 videos by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, 100, I 100 videos in 2020, which is, hey. We can't even put up 100 Instagram posts by the end of the year, <laughs> it's hard to keep up on social media. Yeah, he's really putting us all into it. Um, so since that was the last band to play, and Starwood closed in two thousand six, you know, sold in two thousand seven. Uh, we kind of want to go through, you know, some of the purchases and sale of the property because there's a lot of you out there, and there's been news articles, there's been news stories, there's been, you know, anybody who's from Nashville remembers Starwood, and we've all wondered why that property has sat empty for 13 years. Well, it turns out we did a little, you know, digging on the purchase and sale of the property. So we told you that Live Nation, you know, only grossed 4.6 million in ticket sales in 2006. Mm-hmm. Well, that's funny because in 2007, a company called Vastland Starwood Development, I think they just made up that name, Vastland Starwood Development LLC bought the property for 4.24 million in 2007. So, you know, they probably got a deal on the property because, you know, Live Nation just wanted to wash their hands of it. Um, turns out they owned it for about seven years, um, in six to seven years in 2013, they sold it because they went through the motions of trying to figure out what to do with it. You know, they surveyed the property and they, they just couldn't figure it out. Uh, I want to bring something up real up real quick about the Vaslin Realtor group. August Christopher like broke in, played that show there, shot that video. I think, you know, like Chris said, you know, a month or two later, like when the news picked up on it, you know, there was a story about it or whatever. I think Vaslin saw that, thought that there was still um, an, a want for mu- live music out there. Sure. And they actually set for, set out a plan to start playing music there again in the summer of 2011. But they weren't going to like rebuild a stage. They were going to bring out like a temporary stage and some kind of temporary seating. So it wasn't like they were going to rebuild all these amenities and all that stuff. It was going to be very like pop-up venue type sure. thing but that never came to exist then they were saying that like you know they were, it's so funny like i was reading this article they are they were trying to talk down some of the uh concerns that people had about the problem the traffic because that sure. was always a problem there there was always so much always. traffic when they had those so to to ease the fears of the neighborhood they're like oh no we're only going to let 12,000 people in instead of 17,000. <laughs> Cuz that's a big difference. Yeah, right. I mean, right? I guess that's, you know, a couple of thousand more cars, but at the same time it's like that's not that big of a difference. And also if you're not even barely putting it together like you're not having a real parking lot, sure. you're just like 
whatever. So obviously that fell through. You can't half-ass anything. So Vastland falls through. Uh, in 2013, they sell to a company called Orange Murfreesboro LLC for $5.5 million. And fun fact, Orange Murfreesboro LLC, based out of Newport, California. Wow. There must be a lot of Murfreesboro's around the country. Uh, we thought we had the only one, you know, where everybody says they're from Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another episode. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't sound like Orange Murfreesboro did much with it. Uh, four years later, they actually sell the property to a guy named Ron Buck. He's a private owner. He purchases it and picks up that 76, 77 acres for $2.1 million. So they lost... Over three and a half million on that deal. I mean, which is insane to think about because everybody always says invest in land, invest mm-hmm. in land. It'll always go up. They lost that much money on that. I wonder if these first two development companies found something underneath the ground. Like, mm. you know, that, I, and never told anybody because Ron Bucks, you know, buys the property for $2.1 million in 2017. Here's the kicker. Ron made a great deal. Because in May of 2020, yes, during a pandemic, only a few months ago, the property was bought from Ron Buck from WPT Industrial Real Estate Investment Trust. is It's a Canada uh, Canada company uniquely focused on owning, managing, and growing a portfolio of institutional quality industrial properties. Right huh? In, huh? The, in the U.S. That's a huh? lot. I know. <laughs> So Ron Buck buys it for $2.1 million in 2017. Three years later, Nashville Boom sells it for $6.5 million, which it was just you know purchased three months ago for that $6.5. Well, what's even more interesting about that is just in February of this year, they were releasing plans about what was going to be put in out there. There was like big warehousing um and then they were going to put some residential and i, I can't remember if it was some commercial and so, it, it was Shops like they're trying to do mix yeah they're trying to do mixed use of everything i think everybody now i think a big part of it everybody wants amazon you know sure. they're so they were like let's get this warehouse let's get amazon out here you know and if you see the boom of nashville why not buy the property now what makes me think that this uh, you know, it's going to be on a fast track for Starwood's property now. Is if a company's gonna for real buy it for six point five million, they're gonna do something with it. Maybe, but from what I was reading about that company, they bought it as just part of a big portfolio. Like basically, there was some other broker that was like found all these properties that were possibly for sale, and you know grouped them all together and sold them to this Canadian company. So who's to say that they're even going to actually try to develop it? The la- One of the last things I read was that uh, Ron Buck. One of the last things I read is that Ron Buck was like still saying that the plans that he announced in February were going to still be going forward. So okay. who even knows? Like there, there is no, <laughs> much like 2020 in general, there's no relative reliable information about what the hell is going on. <laughs> sure. Uh, but if you're spending money in the middle of a pandemic, you must know something or you potentially could know once we come out of this, some other headquarters is going to want to move to Nashville. And you say, hey, I've got 77 acres out here. Uh, feel free to buy my property and put your headquarters there. I mean, that's it. Like Amazon is going to take over the world. So people are trying to bow down to them, I guess. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope like everybody for the longest time across the street from Brawley Parkway from, you know, the Grand Old Golf and 
uh, Opryland Hotel that we would rebuild a theme park. Let's rebuild Starwood Amphitheater, only 25 minutes from Nashville, Tennessee, and beautiful Antioch. Wait, we're rebuilding Starwood Amphitheater or we're rebuilding Opryland? Oh, now that's a better idea. What if we built Opryland out there? Opryland 2. So, yeah, I, I'm down for that idea. I wish I could remember from our Opryland episode all the way back in episode 2 how many acres Opryland was built on. It, it was about 77 acres. Okay, um, so it's maybe doable here. I mean... It could be. Now we got to deal with traffic because that has been oh, the issue and theme yeah, throughout never, this entire thing. Yeah, never mind. And we got to get some hotels out there. But Starwood Pizza, I want to plug them because there is a little pizza shop out there called Starwood Pizza. They've been open this whole time. They were open during the amphitheater. They've been open since the close of the amphitheater. I've got to get out there and get a slice because I hear it is pretty good, and I hear the guy that owns that place has plenty of stories to tell. Unfortunately, we couldn't get him on this podcast, but feel free to drive out there, sit down, have a slice, wear your mask, ask him some questions. I bet he's got them all. Um, In summary... Man, juice box. These last two weeks. I mean, I've had a blast. Like I, you know, like I've said multiple times, I'm not from here. I'd never got to go to Starwood, so I'd never got to experience it. When I moved here, I heard you guys tell stories about shows there and stuff like that. But you know, I just figured it was just like every other amphitheater. But I guess I should have known. In a city like Music City, there's there's more pride. You know, there people are obviously not forgetting about it. I was trying to think about my hometown, like of Lexington. And I was like, is there a venue there that people would still talk about? And there definitely is, but it's nothing like this scale or size. You know, it's it's like smaller clubs and smaller bars where you saw like a band with a hundred other people or sure. something, you know? And Starwood had that too, kind of. I mean, opening bands went on to be headliners and just the amount of shows they had, the in, insane, when you, you know, we think back on it and we, we talked about it, we talked about the Whitney Houstons, you know, Ray Charles is the uh, many, you know, the August ha- Christophers, the August Christophers, the, the hair metal bands, the, you saw it, the music transition over 20 years in one major amphitheater with all of your friends. You had everybody has memories if you're listening to us right now and you you ever stepped foot inside Starwood Amphitheater or even on the grounds, you know exactly what we're talking about. We have had an unbelievable amount of fun doing these last two weeks. Um, as always, I hate to end this. It sucks ending something like this. We could do a six-part series on this. Um, if we did enough research, I mean, I feel like we could do a whole episode about just the shenanigans of like it being sold to other people and all these people announcing these developments just since it's closed. Cause I mean, we barely touched on that, but every single person that bought it released some big plan of like, it had some big idea of what it was going to be. And it's still an empty lot. Yeah. Um, and if you want to continue this and continue hearing about Starwood and you are on Facebook, please, we have, we have stressed it. For two hours, it seems, over the last two weeks, go to the Starwood Amphitheater Memories page. Ask to join uh, Justin, who runs it, or one of the moderators will absolutely let you in. More than likely, same day. You will get your fill. And fill, that thing has been around since 2016. It is, you know, ultimately the place for all things Starwood. Feel free to go to that. Also, Great interviews with Jennifer today and Chris Cheatham from August Christopher. Please go visit his stuff. He's got some incredible things going on. Yeah, all or nothing documentary on Amazon. Just check it out. 
And as always, wherever you're listening to us today, feel free to take 30 seconds to like us, rate us, tell your friends. Um, We will be back each and every Monday. We've got a massive fall for you guys. We are so excited. So stay tuned. Keep rocking. See you on the other side. No, no, that's too dark. That's our episode. We'll see you guys next week. We are going to be the very last band to ever have played at Starwood Avenue. It's a complex situation, she said. There is no black, there is no white. Well, I see it more as a catastrophe. Surrounded by avenues in every direction She's telling me a story but I ain't listening, no, no She repeats herself to make a stand It's a complex situation And I don't hear a single word she says And you bring me down, and I bring you down, but some say it's better on the ground.